Days are shorter than nights. We're in December. I'm George Tekbachev here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson. I, I was kind of waiting for you to expand on that. There's not much to expand on, but we're definitely into indoor season right now. Yeah. Considering that you would not want to be shooting outdoors here in the climate that we have in lovely Salt Lake City, Utah, where the mountains are covered with snow, but it's it's kind of a false snow. There's not enough to ski on yet. Yeah, see, and I wouldn't even say it's that cold yet. Mm-hmm. But it's 19 degrees this morning. Yeah. Fahrenheit. That's cold. <laughs> yeah. Where what are we at? About four Celsius. Yeah. You know, my favorite cartoonist, uh, currently physicist that does XKCD. He uh, he did a cartoon the other day where he he created a new temperature of called Celsius, which is the average of the Fahrenheit and Celsius. Which uses a rather elaborate equation <laughs> to generate. But basically, it was it was not a bad idea, really. I kind of like it. Celsius. 45 would be a nice day. Yes. Something like that. Anyway. <laughs> All right, on to the podcast. Hey, we got Bruce Call coming up. We're going to talk to Bruce about Vegas. The Vegas shoot. The fabulous Super Bowl of archery that happens every year in Vegas. 52 grand this year is on the pot. In the pot. 52. 52. So... Not a bad, not a bad payday for the uh, the fine few who make it to the final, which is an yeah. open event, by the way. It's not the men's championship title; it's the open championship title. And I think that uh, I'm probably stating the obvious when I say I imagine you're, you know, on a trajectory to make sure you're there again this year. I uh, yes. I am on a trajectory for that. Congratulations to you and to Linda for your big win at the Utah uh, Indoor. Thanks. It was. Uh, it's always one of those kind of local tournaments that attracts way above its pay grade in terms of talent. Yeah, it's still fairly competitive. It's not what it used to be in terms of numbers of competitors, but it, uh, the quality's you know, up there. I, yeah, I made it. You're still going to get a, a bunch of guys who can shoot 300s, and all I can, I can't, I can't decide who's there and. Who, how many guys make the shoot off, but I can make it on my own and I can win it on my own. And that's, that's all you can do. So well, I shot well enough and I was shooting well enough to roll with anybody who would have showed up at that tournament. Speaking of tournaments, uh, Marrakech is in the books. Uh, not a big turnout for Marrakech, I would say. I mean, it was, um, no, it's tiny. Yeah. It, it should die and it is dying. It's gone. Okay. Why don't you uh, elaborate just a bit? Tell us what's happening. The rumor is there will be, uh, and I sh- I'm not going to break the news. It's not my news to break. There will be a much more attractive venue next year yes. where a lot more people may turn up is, uh, I think, the, uh, that's the early the, bird word. That's the like verified rumor, 100%. Verified rumor. <laughs> yeah. Is that got a blue check mark uh, on it next to yes, on Twitter? Like me. Uh-huh. Okay. Not on Twitter, but well, Facebook. on Facebook. Okay, you're verified as the real Steve Anderson. I know that. Well, you know, it, rank has has its privileges or some such thing. All right. So, um, and then uh, Bangkok has taken place. A little more of a turnout for that one. It's a pretty consistently good event, but again, so hard to get to, especially if your name is Brady Ellison. You saw what happened to him. Yeah, a passport uh, faux pas by. The ticketing agent. Apparently a ticketing agent for an airline not to be mentioned unless they make me angry. Um, They tore his passport while scanning it and told him he couldn't fly. I can't, I still, I'm just shaking my head and thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to do the Steve Anderson thing and get myself a backup passport. Got to have backup. 
gotta. I don't think you can afford not to, especially if you're a professional archer. But that's, that's just crazy stuff. Brady must have just been livid. I mean, I can't blame him for not being happy about that. Yeah, he, he said he was escorted out of the, <laughs> the airport. I, I think I might have. <laughs> he did say it, so we're not. Yeah. It's not rumor. He, he mentioned it. Yeah, I'm okay with it. People should get mad at things like that. Well, that way you. And people should get fired for things like that. You mean the person that tore his passport? Maybe or? not fired, but she should probably, you know, get some type of a. How about a roll of scotch tape? Yeah, I mean, let's, I mean, let's fix be the problem. Deal with the customer's need. Don't be an idiot. People I mean, are going to think he's trying to forge a passport, really. Like, the dude's all over the news, right? In terms of if you Googled him, you would see his face, his name. He's not Jason Bourne out yeah. there with, with eight different countries' passports, all with a different One cigar alias. box, two pistols, $19,000, and 14 passports. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, someday I expect to have one of those myself, but in the meantime, I, I hope I don't need it. But Mister Bourne seems to what the the two passports or the pistols? Oh, I've got way more pistols than that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right, back to topic. Um, yeah, here's the deal. I understand the rules. I understand passports. Are I mean, Nate, did you hear what happened to Nate? No, he, he washed his passport accidentally. Or maybe Shani did. Hmm. And um, he actually has to go and reapply for a new passport in person. That he can't just send the damaged one, you know, the washed one in. Yeah. They're making him go through the whole process, which is kind of awful. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So you don't mess with passports. All right. Hey, we got a bunch of questions. But before we get to those, we got our special guest, um, which we're going to spend a few minutes with. We're going to talk to Bruce Cull uh, from the NFAA, and we're going to, Talk to him about Vegas, and we're going to talk to him about the upcoming World Indoor in Yankton. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, George. We uh, we haven't spoken for a while, and there's been a ton of things going on uh, since the last time we talked. You've been to the World Championships, World Archery Congress, and, of course, you're getting ready for the Vegas shoot and the World Indoor Championship that will be taking place right after Vegas in Yankton. So, yes, absolutely. A lot of stuff on the agenda for us to talk about today, and... Uh, uh, let's start out with uh, Bruce's role at the NFAA these days. Uh, well, yeah, um, get us up to speed. I, I don't know that a lot of people are aware of it yet, but um, I've actually stepped down as the NFA president, and Brian Scheffler, who was my vice president for like 20 years, has taken over. Um, and it isn't a, a huge, uh, noticeable change. You know, Brian will do um, pretty much the running of the you know the meeting that the NFA has, and. and working with, you know, the directors in the states and that type of thing. And then um, basically I've taken over as the president of the NFA Foundation, which is what I was really doing 90% of my time anyhow, which is the Vegas shoot, the classic, um, you know, all of our scholarship programs, our headquarters and the NFA East and Yankton Archery Center here in Yankton. So it's just kind of more of a subtle change, but it's um, giving me a little more time to, to dwell on, you know, the big events that we have like Vegas and um, you know, it's been good. It's been about six months and everything's going great. Yeah. And, you know, Brian's got tremendous experience dealing with the directors of the NFAA and all the, uh, the political stuff on the NFAA side of things. So I imagine it's just a smooth transition. Yeah. been very smooth. And I also stayed on, um, as the executive director of the NFA, which is basically 
doing everything here at the headquarters, you know, um, without having a president here. So, yeah, it's worked out good, and, and we're excited and moving forward, and a lot of good things happening. Yeah. Well, with that said, among the good things happening is another potential record turnout for Vegas this year. Um, how's things going so far? Yeah, you know, things are going great. Um, you know, we, we for the last five years, we've said, when is it going to stop? And, um, you know, all signs right now are that it's not. We're actually, you know, we're not up a lot, but we're up both on the registrations um, and the rooms, you know, the the total number of room nights that we have. Um, You know, so we can't predict anything except that we're going to have an increase again, hopefully. So, you know, you you never know how it's going to work out. And, um, you know, last year we had 3,485 just for the Vegas shoot. And, of course, that was a couple hundred up over the year previous. So, we're just excited. Things seem to be going the right direction. So with 3,400 3, people last year, you could be looking yes. over 3,500 this year, potentially. You know, yeah, I would, you know, if, if it grows on the same percentage basis, we would be in that, you know, probably 36 to 3,800 range. And, um, you know, I, I definitely foresee that. And yet the uh, the facility doesn't seem to be overtaxed yet, Bruce. It looks like you still have room. No, absolutely yeah, and we've got some neat changes coming up this year. Um, we're, we're expanding um, about 50 target butts, which is something that we needed to do. That accommodates, you know, 200 people per line, so we can grow another 800 people there. Wow. And um, we're going to utilize some different areas. We're actually going to increase our practice area, too, which is one of our biggest, um, I, I guess, one of the problem spots that we have with Vegas. It seems like we can never have enough practice butts Um you know, and, and that's something we're trying to address this year, too. And, you know, we had the VIP area last year, which helped alleviate some of the regular practice. So I think we're moving things in the right direction. Are you, are you planning that VIP thing again? Yes, very definitely, yes. And just yeah, walk us through what have, it, what that consists of. Yeah, well, what it is, basically, it was uh, everybody in the championship divisions, um, you know, got to utilize that area pretty much exclusively for themselves. And then um other divisions uh you know could pay the extra to do that but last year if you remember we raised the championship division uh quite a bit and that was part of um one of the things we gave back for doing that so it really makes it nice um you know those people pay a lot more money for a professional archer you know, and it gives them an area and a time to practice that is pretty convenient yeah and of course when you take those six or seven hundred people out of the equation that frees up the regular practice too. So, you know, I, I think it's uh, it worked out well. Uh, we heard nothing but good about it. So, you know, we're going to expand on that just a little bit and, and add some more practice on top of it. Great. So that's an opportunity for both uh, folks in the in the flights and for folks who are paying the extra for the championship uh, division category. Yes. Uh, prize yeah, money. Absolutely. Prize money for Vegas yeah, this year money, is up again, know, right? Um, yeah, we're up again. Um, one of the things that we did, um, I think most people know it now, but we've, uh, you know, we started out with the $50,000 a couple of years ago on our 50th anniversary. Yeah, it's Sergio Pani um, that took that uh, took that bounty. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, um, you know, we did that on a one-time basis. And I kind of knew all the time uh, when we were talking about it, if we could just break even, that that'd be something we could look at for the future. And, you know, we, we pretty much did. So, you know, we had an increase, and, and the increase kept going. So we've been able to put, you know, pretty much all the money we get back into prize money and just running the tournament. So we've added a thousand dollars a year to that top open division prize money, just as a little gimmick and a little advertising. You know, so this year we're up to fifty-two thousand. Yeah. Um, we also do a system of, you know, we raise the prize money or reduce it 
depending on, you know, the previous year's um, attendance. And, of course, pretty much everything's been up. And um, one of the really good things this year is that, you know, we've got three big bullet points for the flight divisions. We've actually added more flights, we've added more money, and we've added more places in each flight. So that's been a pretty good thing that um, I think, you know, that's the bread and butter of the Vegas shoot is that 1,500 archers that are in the, you know, the, the Vegas crop shoot, so to speak. Sure. And they enjoy it, love it, and um, if they can go home with some money, that just makes life better. There's no question that's what keeps people coming back, uh, you know, in the uh, in the mass group of the, of the flights because yep, everybody's absolutely. got a chance to win something. Yep, that's right. And there's no sandbagging, yeah, no per se. You know, it's it's right. You know, it's it's pretty tough to do with our ability to change how we flight. So, um, well, you might as well buy a lottery ticket. Fan- <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and I remember, heck, I remember back in the '80s going there. And, you know, when we shot um, just as amateurs, and my goodness, if you got eighth place in the twenty-second flight um, and got a check for one hundred and fifty dollars. When you came home to the archery club, you won Vegas. You know, that's all that mattered. Sure, sure. <laughs> and that's kind of the, the fun part of it, too. You know, everybody gets a chance to win something, and it's, um, I think it's good for everybody. Yeah, it's terrific to just, even even if it's $100, $100 it's just a terrific thing to, you know, feel that you've achieved that with uh, shooting a bow and arrow set. I think that's a, a yep, thing abs- that keeps people motivated. Yep. Absolutely. Well, let's shift gears just a little bit here. Um, and well, before we do that, I'm sorry, let me back up. Uh, let's finish up talking about Vegas from the standpoint of deadlines and commitments. Um, people yep. probably need to get get on it if they haven't already got the registration. Yeah, I in. think the the most pressing thing right now would be for all the listeners to make sure they get their rooms. Um, you know, then of course register to our um, the the room block basically at the South Point and the adjacent property. Um, when that fills up, that fills up. Yeah. And, and usually that's getting close to right now. Um, and, and the registering, you know, obviously they want to do that too as soon as they can, just so they make sure they get a spot and they get in the system and, you know, they're all ready to go. Sure. And just from personal experience, I can tell you, you definitely want to stay at the South Point if you want to focus on the tournament because it yeah. saves so yeah. much trouble. I mean, you know, just getting around is so much easier. Yeah, well, the one thing that, you know, the property next door has become very popular. Yeah, it's quite um, good, too. Yeah, in fact, we've grown, you know, they have a little different style room there. And, you know, it's really just right across the street. Um, yeah. It's yep. not like you have to take a cab or an Uber. So it's it's right there in yeah. handy. So that uh, that gives us a lot more room nights, and that helps a lot. And, and, in fact, if you really are one of those folks that doesn't like walking through a casino, that's the way to go because you can get to the competition venue without yes. having to cut through the casino. So there's yep. an advantage. And, and it's a nice property. Yeah, because it's like little condos, you know. Um so yeah, there's there's some great great options there for people. Yeah, there's even kitchens and uh you know, it's like a yep. little uh like you said, it's like a condo. So it's it's quite yeah. good too. You so know, either way I'm though, sure don't get George. don't get left out in the cold and make sure you get your registration <laughs> in now, you know. Yep, absolutely. Um one of the things that I should add, you know, when we're talking about our numbers, um, one thing that's a little uh, maybe unknown to, to archers, you know, we actually have four other major tournaments within the Vegas shoot. And those are getting to be, you know, more popular and, and bring in a lot of people. I mean, we have, you know, the S3DA has their National Western Championship. Um, we have the uh, Nevada NAS State Championship. We have the USCA National Indoor Championship. And then we have the Nevada Joe Ad State Championship. 
And it, it's interesting, and there's probably some other ones that are going on that we're not even aware of. Um, but, you know, it's very interesting because those four actually work with us. Um, you know, we have contracts and agreements to accommodate their shooters. But, you know, when you when it's all said and done, you know, with our 3,500, there's probably another 1,000 people there. I mean, we've got about 5,000 archers that are on site at any given time. So yeah, and family and kind of spectators. Yep. Yeah, with with everything, you know, we the South Point uses a number of ten to twelve thousand, and I would say that that's very conservative. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a major event, obviously, and it's it's great with the trade show going on and all the sponsors and vendors, and um, it's just uh, it's definitely the proving grounds of archery. Yeah, it is the largest uh, consumer trade show uh, in archery today. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, other than ATA, which of course is a monster. Um, between consumers and you know it's it's amazing at vegas i still remember back in the 80s when that was the predecessor to the ata show yes it was yeah bow hunting trade show and, and it had two you know, closed I mean, days and then one day was open to the public yeah, yep yep and that was called the nas the national archery show and, yep. but you know i still see dealers from overseas that spend a lot of time there because it's a little more relaxed and they can work with some of the companies um you know like yourself with easton or or some of the boat companies, and they, they enjoy that, yep. I think, to have a little more one-on-one time. Absolutely. And the other thing is the cost of, of doing that show for a exhibitor or for a uh, person coming in is considerably less than going to the ATA show. Yeah. So yep. that has an advantage. The other show, of course, is uh, Neem, and uh, that's the European Indoor Championship, and uh, kind of second to Vegas. Um, it's been, it's been strong and you're, you're there often. Um, oh yes. Planning yep. to go again this Try year? To make it every year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm planning on being there. That's, yep. a, that's a great one. Uh, and Olivier yeah, and his team, they do a great job. They've, they've learned a lot from Vegas and vice versa, I think. Oh yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I was great when we all partnered to, you know, have the world indoor, you know, the world cups and, um, Olivier can't say enough good about him. Yeah. He's terrific. And his, his staff as well, just like you and uh, Brittany and your staff. And, uh, you know, it's a great synergy, you know, to have that, uh, yes. Because everybody's pulling for one thing, and that's a great archery experience. It's kind of cool. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting too. Because I, you know, I think with Olivier and what World Archery is talking about to um, to go into what they call the World Indoor Series, um, and you know the potential elimination of the the World Championship Indoor. Um, you know, they have a lot of politics going on, but I think it's it, you know they'll vet everything, and it should come out good at the end. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that, but first, uh, I just before we uh, get into that stuff, I'd like to just chat about the finals for Vegas this year. I understand that sure. uh, you're basically planning the same kind of uh, event, right? I mean, it's it's going to be the spectacular, you know, the yep. uh, the the Super Bowl touchdown show off kind of thing. You know, where all the yep. the Steve Andersons and the Sergio Pagnies of the world get up on the line and do their thing. Any changes to the format? You don't know, you know, every year we have our, our board meeting and, you know, we constantly discuss and cuss and everything else, the, the format and the rules. But um, when, it's, when it all comes down to it, we, we pretty much can't and don't want to fix, you know, something that's not broken, obviously. Um, you know, we've had talks of, you know, how many ends we shoot, how many arrows we shoot, how we score it, um, all sorts of things. And, you know, we're we're going to leave it the same. Uh, the one big thing I think that um, we're going to see, Brittany's been working diligently at, um, you know, adding some new bells and whistles to the to the actual shoot off, which will be nothing with you know the the format again. It's it's going to be more with lighting and the presentation of it. So, you know, as you well know, that thing, uh, the actual shoot off is seen by you know millions of people all over the world yeah. by the time it's all said and done, and we're going to try to 
to work on that to make that even bigger and better. So it'll be televised again on uh, Archery TV and all that stuff? Yes, I think it's, um, isn't World Archery actually the, is it the Olympic Channel, I think. And then oh, yeah, here in the U.S., their, yeah. Yep, yeah, and then they do their YouTube, and then I don't know if that one's on the NBC Sports Channel or not, but um, I, I think it is. So, yeah, there's going to be some... Some well, for sure, the, the Saturday thing for sure, but the Vegas shoot itself, that, that'll be uh, as well, you think? I, I think that the final, the shoot-off is, yes. Well, here's what we'll do. We'll make sure that uh, we get the information out to all our listeners uh, before the Vegas shoot so that they can plan ahead. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I know Chris Wells from World Archery is working on that right now, and, and we're doing some different things there. So yeah, And maybe when you get yeah. the word, you can put something up on the NFAA website as well, and that way people yep, can get it. Yep, we definitely will. Yeah, that'll be great. Um, it just opens up. I mean, you know, everybody kind of expects it now. You know, for an event of that of that yeah. magnitude. Yeah. Okay. Politics. Um, we talked. You know, in our previous uh, podcast, you and I and Steve together, we spoke about the uh, impending possibility that the next World Indoor, which is in Yankton after after Vegas, could be the last Correct. World Indoor, and that might still be the case potentially. Yeah. You know, it's um, it was interesting um, at, at Congress they had a proposal um, to. You know, basically come up with a new format, and it was, um, I think it was somewhat vague, and maybe that was probably part of the problem that it didn't pass, but, you know, the, I think the bottom line is they're trying to look at um, eliminating the World Indoor Championship and to make the World Cup Indoor something new, different, and more of them, and, uh, you know, have that, I think their actual name was being called the World Series. Yeah, um, World Indoor Series. And that's, yeah, and that's where they were trying, you know, where they were heading. I think that the problem, um, they didn't vote to not have the next one, but they also didn't vote to solicit bids, I believe. And so I think they're, I think they're in a little turmoil. Um, well, perhaps the right way have, to put it is that that they're they're in a, still in a planning stage at this point, and they weren't quite ready to pull the trigger one way or the other at the, at this correct. last World Archery Congress. Yep, I think I think that's correct. I think that's exactly right. So. You know, only time will tell. Um, I think the big, the big problem that they could see is the the sheer numbers. You know, sure. um, I think the, the several of the countries, you know, they don't have funding for it. Um, you know, and I think it all kind of reverts back to, um, you know, the, there's a, several more compound shooters in certain areas and several more recurve shooters, so it isn't necessarily a great representation of all of archery. So, I think there's a lot of things they need to look at and. Um, you know, hopefully they'll they'll get it to where it's the best for everybody. Well, they've got a couple of years to figure it out, so hopefully that'll that'll uh, like everything else. I mean, you know, uh, they will figure out the best way, and and we'll find out what it is when they get to it. I guess. Yep, absolutely. In the meantime, you've got the um, basically the last uh, event of the World Cup indoor happening in Vegas on Saturday night. Uh, at the Vegas shoot, yep. and uh, that'll be, again, a, uh, a world archery production, not so much a, a Vegas shoot production, although obviously it's the same resources and people. Um, yep, and, and that'll be uh, And that'll be uh, setting the stage for the big showdown on Sunday in Vegas. Correct. Yeah, we're excited. I think we're going to have a record crowd again, and I think everybody's excited. Meanwhile, you've got another huge event. By the way, I don't envy your your schedule. <laughs> you've got a huge event <laughs> right after the Vegas shoot. You don't get to take any time off. You have to go straight back to Yankton for the World yeah, one of, Indoor Championship. Yeah, one of the ideas we had, and I'm not going to say that it worked, nor did it really fail, but um, when we first talked about bidding for that World Indoor, 
you know, there was a, a logical idea of having it very close to the Vegas shoot so that people would have the opportunity to do both. Close in terms of uh, time. Yes, right. Time would be the big thing. I mean, obviously, if um, Team Russia is or part of them are going to go to the World Indoor and they have the opportunity to two days earlier shoot the Vegas shoot or the World Cup or all three. Yeah, um, why not do them know, both? It's all, you know, one one airplane yeah. ticket and, you know, I mean, one yep. detour and you've got yourself a the uh, arguably what Steve likes to call, by the way, you know, the premier event, uh, the Vegas shoot, you know. Um, yes. You've arguably got that, and then you get to go to World Indoor, exactly without and, you know, without spending found, a lot of extra money. Yeah, and, and, and it's it's working. I mean, we've got um, I think right now registered we have um, right at three hundred um, total athletes and trainers, you know, in about thirty countries registered, which is pretty normal. You know, it may be down a little bit right now, but. Um, that's actually a number that has the potential to go up because we've eliminated a late registration fee for them. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the countries are still picking their teams and that type of thing, and they're sure. doing some planning. So, um, and, and and you're right, what a great opportunity. I mean, you can shoot the Vegas shoot, spend a day or two in Vegas, you know, fly to Sioux Falls, Sioux City, or Omaha, and be here for a, a World Indoor Championship. And yeah. there's, you know, there's several that are doing that. So I, I think that's going to be great. Absolutely. So going forward, Bruce, um, Vegas is getting bigger every year. Do you, you know, I've asked you this before. And I'm sure I'll ask again. Do you foresee capping, capping things? Do you have to, do you have to pull the trigger at capping sometime? You know, um, the, the, the direct answer to that is no, we don't. Um, the, the problem that we're going to run into, you know, if the trend continued is that it may be prudent for us to look at different venues just simply to be able to have more people stay on site. Um, you know, that, that may be the only thing, because basically at the South Point, you know, we can grow to, oh, I would say just roughly 6,000 archers. Oh, so you have considerable actually, wiggle room. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we could, you know, not quite double it, but, you know, a couple thousand more we could still work out. And, you know, we've talked every year about, you know, is there a potential that, uh, one of the things I think we right now we have over a thousand kids that are shooting it, and you know could we do something um, like have the the youth event a day or two earlier or you know something along those lines and they're just ideas that we've talked about. Um, and by the way, I would you know encourage anybody um, that has ideas to get a hold of us. Go on our website and you know email anybody that's on there from myself on down and NFAA and NFAAUSA.org is that right? dot com dot com nfaa usa dot com usa dot com yeah 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 and i would just encourage anybody because you know um Brittany does a good job and sends out a survey at the end of the shoot and we get some great feedback um and you know we've reacted to that whether it be correcting things or you know doing something more proactive too so um there's a lot of ideas out there and and you know we'll we'll address those you know before we have to but um you know, I think right now our, our growth can handle, you know, we can handle the growth at the South Point, you know, for at least a few years. Bruce Cull, the executive director of the NFAA and the president of the NFAA Foundation. As always, my friend, I'd really like to thank you for coming on the Easton Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for asking me, George, and be happy to help you anytime. Always good to talk to the hardest working man in the archery, American archery scene, you know. Bruce is uh, getting it done again.
Yeah, Bruce Grimes, man. He Always grinds. a lot. And, of course, he's got a great staff backing him up, people like Brittany. And yeah, Brittany. he's the hardest working man. Maybe not the hardest working person. I didn't say he's the hardest working. <laughs> I was very specific with my words. We'll, we'll have to make sure. Because I have know. a feeling Brittany actually, you know, kicks his butt when it comes to actual workout. <laughs> Productivity. Play, I don't know. I could, just, I could be wrong. I'm just saying. All right. Hey, we got a whole bunch of uh, questions from our lovely listeners. And before we get to those, I just would like to remind you that if you enjoy the podcast, or if you hate the podcast, or if you're, you know, if you want to give a two-star review, uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that it would be justifiable based on what we do around here. Uh, go to iTunes and please uh, enter uh, your review of the podcast, good, bad, or ugly. And um, what that will do is help other people find it, and uh, that's always a good thing. So, appreciate or help it. them avoid it, or help them avoid it, which may may be their, their advantage. All right, you know what? It it honestly it doesn't matter to me someone doesn't want to listen speaking of podcasts we don't make any money off this i heard you're doing another podcast these days i'm getting one started oh yeah all right well not non-archery related right we'll stay tuned for that i'll i'll, yeah. I'll wait till you're ready to give the word yeah i I, ha- I don't know that i've given myself the word entirely whatever that means so i've been listening to some other podcasts you know i listen to the um i listen to a podcast about uh competitive pistol shooting almost unlistenable but the content is good you know what i mean and then right. I, I listen to another podcast, like a technology podcast. Really unlistenable, but again, the content is good. What do you mean by that? I mean by that, that the people who are talking on the thing, they sound so horrible that they make you want to take a pencil and stick them in your ear. Okay. But the content is good. In other words, the stuff they're talking about is good, so it almost makes up for the, the horrible delivery. Well, I mean, isn't that what matters the most, content? Yeah, which is why we're equally deficient around here. (laughs) All right, moving on. we got a bunch of questions. I'm going to start with Sammy's question. Sammy, our friend from Finland, is asking me, did you have to switch to lighter limbs in some time in your shooting career? And if so, at what age and how much lighter? And I joked with Sammy that not so far is the answer, but the truth is I started out at 50 freaking pounds uh, i mean started shooting a recurve bow i shot a compound for a couple of years with fingers never shot a release switched to recurve got a uh, got a deal on a recurve as a quote shop shooter for hoyt and um <laughs> the uh the shop set me up with 50 pound limbs so i'm pulling you know at the time probably 29 inches which means i was pulling about 52 pounds and so i spent from about 1983 until about 1988, shooting 52 freaking pounds. And then I uh, got a little bit wiser, and Dick Tone had me drop weight a little bit. And I've been shooting 47.6 pounds, give or take a tenth, ever since. And uh, and so I have not, since then, switched to lighter limbs. And, of course, I'm a little older now than then. And I'm still not switching to lighter limbs because of two factors. One of them is... Um, too lazy to retune a setup. And second factor is um, I can kind of handle the weight, so that seems to be seems to be still okay. And I also seem to get a little cleaner release at higher weight, so that's that's the answer there, Sammy. A lot of people do change weight. Uh, Daryl Pace used to change weight every indoor season, and then you know he'd uh, just jump back up again to outdoor weight. And some people do that, and some people don't. A lot of the shooters that you see shooting X10s indoors are shooting the same weight, like the Korean shooters. They don't change weight. What about you, Steve? Do you uh, 
Do you see uh, a lot of shooters uh, adjusting weight compounds-wise uh, indoors to outdoors? No, and I think people think that people do, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense, but I don't think it's done as much as people think. No, no, the top-level shooters, are they're not, they're not changing weight whatsoever. I mean, maybe – Maybe for a tuning purpose, they might take a you know turn or so out. But is, it, is it possible Rio might be an exception there? Because I know Rio's told me he's shot like forty six pounds indoors, but that was a long time ago. Okay, I yeah, believe yeah. so. That was that was one of the rumors that Rio shot forties indoors, and, and a lot of us go to fifty pound bows, and I I do not see it. You know, maybe maybe temporarily or just a slight change for a bow setup, but most are shooting the exact same poundage inside and out garrett has a question for both of us uh which neither of us are really qualified to answer but i'm going to try anyway uh, garrett's a youth archery coach and he's trying to keep his kids enthused and excited to work achieving their personal goals even though we play games and different things the kids seem to get bored at times what are some things i can do with them to up the energy along with working on the important things i think you got to yell at them you got to feed them a little <laughs> bit stop <laughs> hey garrett um you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, was an experience that I had when I was a resident athlete at the Olympic Training Center, and I was I was shooting all the time, shooting, 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 and I started getting a little burned out. And one of our coaches down there, wonderful guy, he um, he's like, "Hey, you're taking this stuff too seriously, and you're 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 getting burned out." And here's what you need to do. And he gave me a 20 pound recurve and some blunts. And he took a couple of one-gallon water jugs, and he made me chase those around the archery field. And I guarantee you I had a lot more fun so that when I went back to the grind, I had a much better attitude. We just took archery and turned it into a game. Now, I know you're saying that you you know, you know you play games and different things. You've got to just take the pressure off and, and let them have fun, let them be kids once in a while. And I think that my lesson was I needed to you know kind of decompress once in a while and have fun playing archery and um there's opportunities to do that but you got to let kids be kids in our american culture yeah it's a different world from when i was a kid playing sports you know it's it, it is it i think i got into the more competitive serious side of of sports when i was 12 years old that's when i stopped playing you know general or generic youth basketball and started playing on a traveling team and no longer were we playing bump in practice. You know, that's a basketball fun game. You play on the playground or whatever. Uh, we, weren't, we weren't playing bump in practice. We were running lines and things like that. So um, I, I don't, you know, I'm pretty proud of myself for my witty answer saying yell at them, beat them, etc. cetera. But uh, obviously that's a joke. But you, you got to decide there's going to be kids who – wouldn't like it if you went and were trying to keep it fun or screwing around or something like that there's a balance there are kids who they're they're going to be there trying to learn and get better and you'll you'll be able to know those personalities because you probably know the kids you're working with really well so i don't i don't know what it is but you do have to find some balance that works for everybody as well well and that's hard because you like you alluded to there steve i think every group's got a couple of really serious you know players yeah. And all they want to do is be serious. But even those people eventually will get to a point where they need a little bit of uh, relief from the seriousness. Yeah, and and luckily in archery, because it's so individual, it doesn't have to be serious for everybody, but you can give them all their own 
you know, competitive game or or whatever yeah. to keep them enthused or or fresh about things. You're just trying to take away, break the monotony. You know, you know I was trying to make a point with some students in Japan the other day. Um, I was in Utsunomiya, and uh, we had a, a big seminar, something like 60 kids there. And it's hard to teach that large of a group, you know, without um, losing a couple of people and without going beyond a couple of people. But one, one thing that I try to do with a group like that, especially after a few hours, is work in something fun. And so we had a, uh, we had a shoot-off. But we weren't shooting bows. We were shooting wristbands, you know, rubber wristbands. Mm-hmm. And um, what I did was I used it as part of a teaching element, you know, because I'm trying to get people to relax their bow hand a little bit, right? And if you can get somebody to shoot a rubber band, almost by necessity, you force them into having a relaxed follow-through. Anyway, long story short, we turned it into an accuracy accuracy contest for a dozen X-10s. <laughs> I'm, I'm not suggesting that Garrett needs to do something like that. But you know what? You can have a lot of fun for a dollar. There's no doubt about that. You know, I'll uh, when I'm doing a, a seminar with kids, I'll pin a dollar up on the absolute target at 50 meters. And, you know, anyone who hits it's in, and, and then we we go again, and we do it until someone wins the dollar. Yeah. So I don't know, Garrett. There's some thoughts, and hopefully they're they're helpful to you. Thank you for listening. Now you got to watch out for NCAA amateurism rules. Any of these kids who are looking to maybe move on to a uh, you know, a, an NCAA certified sport, you might just get them disqualified. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the warning. Yeah, Dave Roach has got a question. I he'd like to know if we could give him some detailed instructions on using the adjustable weight point system for the Superdrive twenty three arrow shafts. So we've got this ninety grain point goes straight into the arrow, and it's got uh, threads inside, and we have this kit which allows you to weigh the point up up to 200 grains using various mixes and matches of set screws and weights. The intent is that you only set up one or two of these points and put them in the arrow permanently. And then, using the long tool, you'd start manipulating weight as needed. But part of the deal is that you, when you get the SuperDrive 23, the, the bushings are not installed. The uni bushings are, are loose in the package because you need your choice of, you know, super or uni. And... Um, the, the plan here is what you would do is you would set up the point weight you want to try, put it in the arrow, one or two arrows, then temporarily install the uni bushing using say plastic film or something to give it a snug fit, shoot the thing, determine whether that's the weight you want. If it's not, you use the long tool to make weight adjustments to those arrows. Once you've homed in on what you want, then you permanently install everything and put the rest of your arrows together. So that's the way that works. Yeah, it wouldn't hurt to throw a little thread locker on uh-huh, those. Some blue Loctite. Yep. yep. And you know, it, it amazed me. One time this guy called in. Um, we suggested to him to use some he, – he wanted to know how to put his pins in some carbon ones. And it was suggested to use a plastic bag. And he couldn't believe that we would say that. He was outraged yeah. that we would say, well, it works just fine. Yeah. and Works really well, in fact. And then, possibly the best. And then, and then you go walking down the line and you look at what the Koreans are using to put their biter knocks on the outside of their X-10s. Everything yeah, from plastic bag tape. to Teflon tape to yeah. dental floss. Yeah, it's not. Uh, yeah. So I'm not worried about plastic bag because plastic bag is perfectly uh, legit when you press it in. It might be too legit. Too legit to quit. Xander, our friend in the Netherlands, is, uh, got himself a string stop question. He said, the first string stoppers on the hoist, the center of the stop was in the center line of the rod connecting it to the riser. 
But on bows like the Prevail, the center of the stop is five and a half or six millimeters off the center line. He says he thinks that's a little awkward. Any particular reason why? Um, I think so. So he's referring to where the string stop would mount in the back. Uh, no, I don't think it's awkward because you rotate the head of the string stop to get into alignment with the string. Uh, really where the rod is, it, it doesn't matter. And it's not taking enough blunt force to do any damage anyhow. Uh, if it was going to do any damage, it would do it at the connection point of the string stop, not where the rod connects into the riser. And considering there's 14 months of experience with this bow that's been successful without any problems, I don't think it's an issue. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people think maybe it should be directly in line, but no, it it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. In fact, but Xander, is, you know, Xander's question is legit. I mean, there's yeah, a, you know, it's just a yeah, he's wondering why. Um, usually, your string is slightly off to the left of the direct center of your riser, anyhow. For a right-handed shooter. Yep. Alrighty. Um, Levi says he's having some, uh, a little bit of tuning trouble with his 2712s. He put some 250 grain points up front to try and help with the spine, uh, from 150. Any advice on what to do next and what would be some veins to try trying to get away from feathers? Levi, if you say you're having tuning trouble and that's all you tell us, it's a little hard to answer. I'm sorry. Yeah. A little more, uh, just so, I mean, hit us with some details, and uh, we'll we'll try to. Yeah. So do do this for us, Levi. Follow up on our Facebook and throw in stuff like. I will actually reply. Yeah, right Steve now. will. But but tell us, Steve, what is it you want to see when you see a question like this? Because this will help other people in the future. Well, uh, you know what what is the the issue you're seeing? Are, right. Is it a paper what, tear? Yeah, is paper it tearing, not grouping the way you want? Bear shaft tune. What type of tuning are you trying to trying to accomplish here? Tell us about your launcher. Yep. Is it is it scoring bad, you know? Yeah. Tell us more about your bow. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, you need you need draw weight poundage bow type and then you can yeah. you can mow detail Levi and uh Steve will take care of you on our Facebook page which is Easton Target Archery uh, on Facebook. Matt has got a question. Got a left tear on his hyper edge. Bear shaft hits the same point of impact but is angled knock left severe does he need to shim his cam probably not you know it depends on what you've done already um on that bow i'm trying to find he said hyper edge right yep uh you ought to look at maybe leaning the top cam a little bit to the left see if that will help correct it now the other thing to check is make sure you're just getting a, a good clean release of the knock from the center serving too that's oh, yeah. always always that's my number one. First, check that. Then work on correcting the issues. Now, um, correct me if I'm wrong. On a compound, you like to be able to twist the string in the knock without having the knock fall off and having the string twist fairly correct. freely in the yep. hole of the knock, right? Yep. All right. Matthew has a question for Steve. He's having a hard time breaking into that magical 300 mark on a Vegas face. He's got lots of 299s and a good X count, average 24. Yeah. Issues not equipment, but that thing between the ears. Any tips to help strengthen the metal game? First off, stop calling it the magical 300 mark. That's one thing. Don't, yeah. Uh, if you've ever, well, I can't, I actually can't say what I was about to say. There's a movie where they say, don't put it on a pedestal. You're putting the 300 on the pedestal. And you're, you're proven to yourself you can shoot the 10, right? So stop trying to shoot a 300. You don't do that with one arrow and you don't do it with 30. You do it one arrow at a time. Yes, exactly. You're not. You can't do them all at once. So just shoot the one in the bow. Yep. 
That's and the only one that matters on. because the one you've already shot's gone, and the one that's going to be up next is going to have its turn. So yeah. all you can control is the one that's in the bow. And when you get to the eighth, ninth, tenth, then you're thinking, "Oh, I'm getting close," and you you think it's getting harder. It shouldn't be. I mean, it's not like it's not like as you get closer to that perfect game, they make you step back and shoot it from further away. Got another one for it's you. The same ten. Got same another shot. one. Do it old school. Shoot a four fifty round. Yeah, that helps, dude. Do that. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Yep. Shoot a 450 round, and you know you're not going to get as fixated on that 300 because you're going to be trying to shoot a clean 450, which of course can be done. And guess what? You're going to find yourself passing 300 without realizing that you had done it if you do that enough. Or, or you might do something like drop one in the second end and then go clean the rest of the way, proving to yourself, hey, I can, I can bang out 30, 40 arrows in a row. Yeah. And that, that will get you some confidence. You know. But, yeah, shoot a 450 round and practice that way. It's good for the endurance, too, I suppose. A lot of leagues do 450s. Yes, they do. My and I think that's to get more volume. It's to get more, yeah. you know. But uh, welcome to the human race, buddy, because it's a very, very common problem. And it's it's one that you bring entirely on yourself by putting 300 on a pedestal. Shoot a 450 round is my advice. Tom. Uh, relating to Feather Vision's recent video on peep size. Are you familiar with this, what he's getting at? I didn't watch the video, no. Tom's my string builder. Oh, okay. So Tom's asking whether most pros center the pin in the peep or center the housing in the peep for indoors. Uh, well, either way, I, I center, I, I focus on the housing, right? And I want to be able to see my housing through my peep. So I'm wondering if that's what he's saying is if we're using a small peep and, and we just look at the, well, and indoors, in do you use the smallest housing you can get away with so you can see the smallest, you know, peep that'll give you clarity while aligning the peep with the housing? Not necessarily. I mean, I do like a small scope in general because it allows me to use a smaller peep, uh, there, thereby not having to use as much of a, a clarifier, as powerful of a clarifier indoors to, to get some clarity out of it. And you are using a clarifier indoors. Just, yeah. uh, I helped yeah. you clean it the other day, so I know. Yeah, <laughs> and outdoors, I, I much prefer to have... Uh, you know, no clarifier, but I still want that small peep to sharpen up the image. Um, now you want to make sure you're getting enough light in. Some indoor ranges can be particularly dark, and a sm too small of a peep really can uh, can screw with you. So that's all something you got to take into account. And and uh, most people are probably using something fairly similar, I would say, like a sixteenth in terms of peep size. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Norbert is asking what you think about a serving for cables at the cable slide. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people do it. I, I have never felt that I lack durability in that area. Um, you know, it's, it's common practice for a lot of people to try to deburr a cable slide as soon as they get it, take it out, take some D loop material and run it through at high speed back and forth, take out any of the parting lines or mold marks out of the the cable slide itself try to smooth it up yeah i've never i've never had that problem with the hoyt cable slide and and the hoyt cable slide is often revered as the cable slide and i see people buy aftermarket ones just for either the color or you know some marketing pitch or whatever but um a lot of a lot of shooters i know put a hoyt cable slide on other bows so if you're having an issue with one chewing up cables and maybe you know maybe look for a parting line or something like that but other than that i've never had a durability concern out of my cables 
from the slide, so I, I, I don't bother serving them. I have more concerns that the serving would pop over time than, than having a, a strand of my cable pop. All right. Sounds like, uh, sounds like good advice. I, I think ultimately you are uh, wanting to have the, the least amount of friction through that cable slide. I don't know if serving in the radial direction is the best way to go in that regard. A lot of people do it, and it seems to work out fine. But like I said, I don't mind if a, a strand is to break. You know, there's, for me, 32. For most people, 24 to 28. That's by big far safety, more Big safety, big uh, safety. Uh, but if you look at it and it bugs you, you know. Well, I, I some people might prefer to have a broken strand in their cable always showing up. <laughs> no. I know it, some people that don't do any maintenance. Yeah, to me, I, I just think that I'm more likely to have an actual durability concern from the the serving on the cables than I am from having a strand bob. So, um, you're shooting uh, Yankton after Vegas? Uh, we have trials next week. Oh, so, there you go. So, yeah. we haven't picked our team yet. Don't know. Yeah. It looks like a full turnout. we got 50 countries booked, according to Bruce, uh, as we heard earlier today. And I think that we will see a, um, a kind of questionable future there, you know, because we don't know whether there's going to be another world indoor. Oh, I thought they'd already. Nope. They decided to, to they decided to let it roll for let a while. It, yeah. Well, I mean, but if someone make, wants to bid on it. But they it. didn't, they did not solicit bids for another one. So if someone comes in and says, hey, we want to do this or whatever, then do it. Yeah. The funny thing is, it seems like some of the countries that have never hosted a world indoor are the ones that were voting against dropping it. So that was kind of odd, but it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think WA needs a little time to, you know, get everybody on the same um, on the same side of the fence on you this know, subject. My my thought on this maybe uh, maybe the world indoor should be held at one location constantly like the switzerland or center. a couple of rotating ones well the yeah. swiss center would be a good one come to think it of could it. host it the, the hotels are, i think are an issue right right uh having that many people it, it would be an expensive place to for a team to go or maybe we just use neem for the world championship title every couple of years that's another you know? yeah maybe the world the world indoor championship goes away and we we go with my theory that neem is more competitive anyways and we we just uh, anoint someone. Just saying. So there's yeah. more than one way to do this. The important thing, I think, and the, the real goal is to get the world indoor uh, league thing going, you know, the whole the whole circuit, you know, not the indoor World Cup, oh, yeah, but this yeah. successor plan that they have yeah. for it. That could be a good thing. I don't know. We'll see. I, I think uh, the world indoor cup has some excitement ahead of it. I hope it remains an open event like it is now. Yep. Okay. Well... Any other thoughts before we... Uh... You know, I think this is probably one of our worst podcast performances we've ever had. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I would tend to agree. With the listener, like, we, we pride ourselves on going start to finish, one take. Not we, this time. No. We are going to have to cut out five or six things. I think we missed a number of questions. Just so people know, we had a malfunction on the recorder. Yes. We had a memory stick fill up that was supposed to have been completely empty when we started. We had a set of dead batteries. We had a phone ring. We had people walk into the room because we were in a meeting room that was being used for a meeting that we didn't know about. What else? Oh, just stuff. So so this one is actually going to make up for all the other ones that Jay has never had to edit. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Yeah. What else happened that we were, we said we should talk about that? Oh, stuff. Um, 
migraine headaches from iPhone 10. No. <laughs> yeah. I've been having some head troubles and uh like like my head feels like it's going to pop and But it's got nothing to do with your iPhone. It appears it's not the iPhone. Although some people have been having issues with the iPhone. Yeah, I have not. Mine's been working great. Yeah, so I do like that screen. I really, you know, I I pick up an old iPhone. I don't even know how to operate it anymore. Oh, I don't, I don't know how. That's not a live. joke. It's not a joke. Live. I picked up my iPhone Seven Plus last night because I wanted to. Um, I'm going to send it to my sister, and I wanted to. Um, check. She's going to be upset. Like, in what fashion are you sending it to your sister? I don't. Is know. that like sending her a severed finger? No, an iPhone Seven Plus. Whatever. The point is, I'm just going to get rid of the thing. And um, I I found myself trying to do stuff with it that you can't do with it you because were swiping up I was swiping screen. on the screen and doing stuff because I've I've already become completely inured to the system on the new phone. Yeah, I mean it's like all right, uh, uh, really I it, I can't just look at it and have it open. It just makes me touch the thing and do all this other stuff and and what's really funny is i hear people whining about the touch id versus the the face id the face id is so much better infinitely better we just turned this into a tech podcast well which we didn't make intend more to money do. than ours so well that's not saying much <laughs> hey by the way if you have um an interest in uh sharing the podcast one of the best ways to do that is to leave a review on itunes i think that part might already be in the podcast i think you may have already said that you think our itunes we pitch is already, already in there? we may be cutting it out i don't know but. i thought it was gone i thought it was in the ether with the lost <sighs> with the bad card but yeah. uh, i bet i bet in this podcast edit somebody's question gets answered twice well, uh, that ha- that has happened. I, I think it would be hilarious. I just too. have to see, you know, if I can help Jay with the editing process. Or I could just throw it over the fence and say, here, go put it together. Let's <laughs> see what comes out. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been better about it, too, in the past when we, you know, say we have uh, someone drops a microphone or something like that. And we go, oh, you know, mark it right here. And we'll come back. We'll pull that out, whatever. Yeah, but that's like one in 10. Yeah. Shows. One, one in 30. Yeah. Literally, and and this one, we this one's had like seven anything. edits. Yeah, I, I, I no thirty eight twelve. I remember that from the first card. This will much <laughs> like uh, leaf blower gate. You know the leaf blower gate episode. Yes, yes, I do. Will go down as one of the, our best ever. Oh, and did you see this one? Will go down as one of our worst. I don't even know what we've talked about. Did you see that Los Angeles is going to ban leaf blowers? Yeah, there was, and it was not for a good reason. Or actually, California is going to ban leaf blowers, and it was it was for something stupid, air right? particulates. Yeah, rather than rather the fact than the, that the stupidity the leaf of leaf blowers in the first place. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't know how to how to feel about that. Like, should I get behind it? No, because their stupid reasoning will come back on something that is near and dear to me. I'm buying stock in a rake company. Leaf vacuum company. Oh, there's a thought. A leaf vacuum. It, they exist. I mean, they're, you know, you, you can find an infomercial on them. I have but no doubt. People are going to go, oh, it was, how are they going to refer to this episode? The one where we talked about yada, yada. We didn't talk about anything. That's right. They're going to refer to this as the worst episode. We could have, we could have talked about the, uh, the antelope thing. You know, I listen to uh, Dan Patrick in the morning. He's a sports broadcaster here in the in the states. For anybody who doesn't know, um, 
ESPN type guy? Yeah, uh, he, he used to work for ESPN. He now refers to them as the mothership. And, you know, with ESPN dying because of them pushing an agenda and yada, yada, it's kind of interesting to watch. So, um, Dan Patrick, all of his shows are cataloged, and they've cataloged one segment of his show as the worst segment ever. And that's how it's titled, right? This is maybe our episode, our worst segment ever. And I think it's time to drop the mic on that. Well, is there something more we can go on about? I don't have anything. Oh, there's all sorts of random stuff we could go on about. Like, for example, end of show. End of show. 